What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 49. We're joined today by Charlie Barze, co-founder of Golden Triangle Exotics. Charlie is an advocate for craft and quality with a lifetime of cannabis cultivation and extraction experience. He's worked on several projects in Canada from micro to massive, contributing to one of the biggest LPs in the country. For more information, connect with them on LinkedIn and follow Golden Triangle Exotics on YouTube at Cannabis Exotics. Enjoy the show. Charlie, welcome, dude. Good to have you. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. It's a, a conversation a long time in the making. You might have been one of the earliest folks to know that this podcast was in the works. And it was an embarrassingly long time ago. <laughs> Um, yeah, if I can, I think I have a message from you, uh, many years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I think maybe 2017 or 2018 yeah. or something talking about getting the podcast rolling for the space. And, and look at you now. It took maybe three <laughs> years longer than expected, but yeah, we're here, man. And you're on the show. <laughs> you're a, you're a gangster, man. What can I say? I we it. made it. And, uh, it's... When we first met, I think it was 2017 then, or maybe it was earlier 18, when you guys came down to Vegas for training. Yes, that's right. The good old days. I was um, implementing and training uh, seed-to-sale software, all that that fun inventory management, learning some skills that I still use in the day-to-day. And uh, that was when I was still learning a lot about the Canadian market and ended up doing more work up there with you guys than I did was doing in the U.S. for a year or two. That course was a grind. I loved it. It was good. I tell you, you were, you were on your game for sure. Those, those ERPs are heavy, man. They are heavy. Yeah. It can do it all, but you've got to like kind of learn it all too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see uh, other software here the last few years or anything else kind of taken off on the Canada side that's grabbing some market share? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I like to, uh, I like Cropsify and Certicraft. I think those two are going to be the go forward, um, you know, uh, user, user platforms. I think they've really streamlined what's important, uh, taken a lot of that, you know, just the mundaneness out of it. It's really intuitive. So I like those. That's awesome. I'll have to take a look at them a little bit and see always, it's an interesting thing to try and uh, reinvent an ERP. The traditional like manufacturing space thought that they had done it well, or the traditional ag thought that they had it all done, and then cannabis comes in and introduced so many, you know, different things that an application has to do, mm-hmm. or that a grower needs to track. But let's uh, rewind the clock here, as we do on the show, and and go way back here before your your current projects to hear a little bit about how um, how you've got involved in the industry and you know how you found cannabis or cannabis found you. Cool. Well, I think like a lot of a lot of people, um, the connection for cannabis started quite early. I was around 14 years old. Um, I got to try some hashish, <laughs> and you going know, top just, shelf at a young age, man. <laughs> you know, and that's that's true to form for for my life. I, I tend to manifest right right to the to the nuts, you know, um, and. Uh, and uh, wow, uh, I can say I was uh, immediately connected to the experience and, you know, just, you know, I could see how that, uh, you know, cannabis was, was going to play a major role in my life after that. And at such a young age, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty special thing to be able to have that, you know, and um, yeah. Definitely so, made an impact for you, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, you know... Um, it took a while for me to get to, to, you know, actually growing cannabis, but consuming it, uh, consuming uh, and enjoying, huh? (laughs) I don't consume it anymore. When my daughter was born, 
I decided that I was going to stop smoking and then I went to edibles and now yeah. I'm really happy just kind of like being a weekend warrior, you know, every now and again. You know? Right. Just con- consuming when you need to or when yeah. you've got the time. Yeah. Or if I'm feeling a certain kind of way, you know what I mean? I see. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of on a similar path, man. I think um, really I was like kind of a daily consumer and if I'm not careful, I can be a all the time consumer and just keep, keep on going. Uh, the only the only thing that cares about that is my bank account. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but the uh, yeah, since since my daughter was born, actually earlier th- last year, I kind of started trying to moderate more and cut back on the consumption. You know, burning anything in the house, so I cut to the vaporizer, and then recently have been moving into edibles, and just this week and last week starting to move into tincture. So I think I'm kind of kind of backing out of that like regular consumption space. But I still want to carry that flag of connoisseurship, right? Craft and quality. And it's um, kind of an afterthought in the U.S. market, at least, when it comes to moderation, tolerance, or kind of uh, wise or you know, responsible use. It's almost a laughable fact. And people are just like, hey, like smoke more, buy more discounts and, and deals and memberships. Like, come into the shop. And I don't think a lot of the community is focusing on the moderation that has to come with like a long-term habit with cannabis. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of hard. It's not as fun to talk about, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like life is, is, uh, more vibrant and colorful. The music sounds better. Your just your overall experience is like, you could watch a program and go, man, that was the best, that was the best episode ever. You know you're hooked. I mean? Yeah. You're feeling it. Yeah. You're feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you when you were first consuming that, that's always like some of the highest times people can remember. I mean, it takes long tolerance breaks for me to feel the way that I did when I was 15, 16, consuming the first two, two or three times. I think one of the times I was uh, when I was I was just starting to really experience it. I remember leaning against the wall with my friends and we would buy we would buy a sack like Friday night and then we would just basically smoke the whole thing many bowls after one after the other and be done with it Friday and like do the same thing the next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember I was singing this song, like a dumb song, like, like boop, 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 something stupid like that. And my friend just looks over me and starts cracking up and he's like, why are you singing that song? And I just started dying laughing, man. It's like, I thought that was in my head. <laughs> uh, dude, I, that's just kind of one of the, I feel like one of those like pivotal moments where I was just like, all right, this shit's, this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. But there was definitely that, um, I think maybe like a sense of self-medication and things like that I found, even if I wouldn't have known it was that, it was a, some comfort or some anti-anxiety and relief from the, things like that. Yeah, yeah. I um, I was very apprehensive. I'd been offered to, to try it a, a few times before I finally just caved in. And uh, Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as, as a, you know, someone who's hanging around with, you know, friends that are a little bit older than you, a little, you have, you know, your crew's a little younger, a little older, you got a mix in there. And to feel that pressure, uh, I kind of, kind of staved it off for, for a while. And then it was just like, everyone's doing it. So fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Kind of just joining this, joining the fray. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, have always... a, I have a similar, sorry, I have a similar standout for me on that very first time is, uh, after I, you know, took the hit and it was, uh, it was hot knives off of a stove, you know, like, so like, you know, this is like, this is awesome. Classics. Yeah, classic. And I, I ended up sitting in front of like an oscillating fan and just talking like a robot for the whole night. You know, it was just like so funny to me, you know. Just having the time of your life. <laughs> All by myself, you know. That's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you need those times though, of course. And then, uh, you know, later on, it's, it, I think it becomes a different thing. You don't really find that giggly high unless you're, like, you know, a weekend warrior, perhaps, or you're really working with your tolerance and moderation, that kind of thing. That's true. So that, that cannabinoid system gets a little bit, uh, a little bit blasted from a constant consumption. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it went from um, consuming and having just a passion for the product when did it kind of cross that threshold and um, become more of a production project for you? Uh, in 1999, I, I, I got to go to Amsterdam and, and Germany. And cool. it was that social scene in Amsterdam where, you know, it is so 
tolerated and it's just out in the open. I mean, back, this is, you know, this is back in the early nineties. So I don't know what it's like there today, but wow. It was an eye opener, huh? What, what an epiphany and just, it just, it changed the way I thought about it, you know? And so coming back home, uh, I started to, I started to explore different, different things about the plant. It was, it wasn't so much of like what strains could I buy or like, what did my dealer have or what did I have? You know, it was more starting to think about, you know, how do I, how do I do this? How do I grow this? You know, and it, that's where, that's the moment, you know, that's the pivotal moment for me. Where it kind of changed the, changed the plans from just, um, consuming or enjoying when it crosses your paths to maybe actually providing. (laughs) Right. And process, like I had been doing a lot of making my own hash and at the time, um, you know, doing like iso, isopropyl alcohol washes. Nice. Yeah. You know, just doing a lot of that up until that point. So consuming and processing, but not growing. Right. So, I imagine, were, were you the only one from kind of your group of friends or like in the area that was getting into that? Or was there a, a kind of a crew of you guys digging in to the extract side? I, I would say that there was a lot of dabbling from, from some of my other other friends, but uh, I, I was the one that in, when I went and bought, you know, say I bought a, a zip or something. Yeah. Um, I was the one who was taking it and not just like <laughs> throwing it in the bong and smoking it all. I was doing <laughs> like stuff I'm, with it. You know? I got plans for this source material. <laughs> I do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely, man. That's awesome. And then, I mean, that caters really well into the, the modern space where there's so much to do with finished flour once it's ready to go. The yeah. finished goods and extraction spaces have continued to to grow and and turn back on it on themselves. Where I think like hat, we're back, where a focus on hash and even solventless starting to get traction finally in some markets that have been missing it in the U.S. Yes, exactly. How is the concentrate evolution for the the Canadian scene? I, my experience up there was mostly flour. Um, from what I I got to try that when I was there on the west end on the east coast. Um, mostly just because I didn't have a piece to consume concentrates uh, while traveling. Well, it's it's kind of a, a widely known that um, in Canada, the East Coast is, is very um, traditionally hash-driven, um, and that's the Montreal area. And they, and I think the reason nice. is is because you're just you're so close to that Atlantic port, you know, so you're probably getting a lot of. Um, some some quality source material coming exactly, in. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really well known that in Canada, you know, the Easterners they love their hash. That's where you're um, gonna find it, huh? Yeah, and then and then out west, you know, because you have that that Okanagan, uh, very very similar to like the Northern California climate. Yeah, like not, Pacific not, Northwest kind of vibes, right? Yes, 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 yes. So you got the and then so that's sort of sort of the the, the flower mecca, if you will. I see. Yeah, that that kind of tracks, I think, with my experience. As the flower I had on the east, um, I guess less than a shout out to Afria. I don't know if they're still around, <laughs> but uh, that's the flower I had there. And then I think over on the on the west, I don't remember a few different places I ended up trying, but the flower quality on the west at that time was head and shoulders <laughs> above. Exactly. Comes down to that environment, and I guess the specialties of the the area as well. And I, I'm sure there's quality flour churning out across the across the nation, you know, in folks' basements and in different grows. But the, the Canadian industry is unique in that their distribution system is all going through the government after they after these businesses are you know done growing and cultivating, rather than having the private owned dispensaries in the U.S. What's your What's your perspective on that so far, kind of seeing the, the trajectory like in your country and then like kind of looking down how, how the states are doing it? There are definite restricting headwinds um, around the provincial, federal, and municipal separation of the production and sale of cannabis. It's all, it's all across the board, right? So different regions are going to have different framework in place. And so that creates these very restrictive headwinds and and you're Mm. seeing that right now with um you know like there are a lot of smaller craft cultivators who are struggling because they just don't have the resources to compete with say maybe a larger you know so right right. it's not that they don't want to compete it's just that at some point that the budget is really going to be the limiting factor 
it really does come down to economics. You're right, Rob. Yeah. That's where we see a lot of leaders and folks coming from outside of cannabis, you know, with their, uh, with their experience and business acumen, trying to make it a success. And, and some are really successful. Uh, others are, I think they find obstacles or they find that like the knowledge that they were confident in, in investment banking or in real estate or whatever they were doing before didn't quite, you know, correlate in a one-to-one. Yeah, they still found some surprises or some, you know, some gaps. Exactly. Yeah. So from the, uh, from the kind of project mindset, when did you go into the more professional space for Canada or when did you get involved in the, uh, in like the full scale grows? Uh, so that's, there's two sides to that story. Uh, we, we, uh, when I say we, it's like, uh, I'll refer to my crew, which is, you know, the, the inner circle of, you know, my, my network coming up. And of course those networks, they tend to expand as you invest in them. Right. Um, so, you know, we have pre and post legalization, um, storyline for me. So pre-legal, we started doing, you know, 20 lighter grows, uh, investing in, you know, warehouses and doing it really clandestine. Wow. Um, yeah. So really able to churn out some, uh, some, some weight. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I did that up until, uh, 2016, 2005, I grew my first plant, uh, strawberry cough. Um, Ooh, had, started had, with some goodness, had, su- had such great results there. And I, I still, and this to, to this day, uh, I really hold that as the sort of like the, um, uh, the caliber, like it's, it's like the, the benchmark for me because I, I, I stumbled on just, just a crazy strain and I still, you know, people are still, still talking about that one, you know, even a few years after I, I, I managed to kill it. Um, but, uh, 2016, um, you know, I decided I'd had enough of, um, you know, the pre-legal stuff. So I applied for my ACMPR license, which is a federal access to cannabis for medical purposes, which allowed me to grow. Okay. Ah. And yeah. What were the restrictions there for home grow at first? Uh, so it is by plant count. Um, so you have to apply for, uh, a, a certain number of plants and that's, uh, so the, the arc or the, the sort of the, um, the license took a few iterations. So the MMAR, MMPR, and then the ACMPR, but they were, they were all plant, uh, count. So they were all based I on see. the number of plants. Yeah. Okay. So you, if you wanted to grow them big, you were not restricted, huh? <laughs> no, it had nothing to do with, with, uh, with size. I always so, thought that was kind of odd in the regs that I think it just shows that the folks making the rules never... Uh, grew the plants themselves <laughs> if they say like hey let's limit them to 12 plants like you don't understand what 12 plants in a like 12 full-grown cannabis plants could really become it's a, right <laughs> it right. could be massive right if you and, have them in like 30 gallon pots <laughs> yeah and depending too depending on maybe if you had a pre-existing medical condition you could argue uh for you know thousands of plants Wow. Um, so that, that was, that was the loophole, right? So you could run a perpetual harvest in, in the house then with prop veg flour and keep that cycle flowing. Yeah. I ended up starting with a 220 plant license. Okay. Um, All right. you know, I had to pay, uh, there's a small service fee involved in, in that and it was an annual re-up. So every year you'd have to, you'd have to re it, re-up it. I see. And were you able to provide like as a caregiver for anyone else or that was personal consumption or personal project only for the, for the cert? For me personal, but, but there was a, you know, there was framework written in the law there in in that license where you could do, um, designated grower if you wanted. Oh, cool. Yeah. There's some, some of the States had that at first with medical, but now most of the rec programs are kind of clean, cleaning that up, I guess for better or worse. I, I kind of like that vibe. It's very like community friendly with a grower helping like a small subset of folks. But I think that from what I was hearing is that they have trouble matching prices. Like it's going to be more expensive from that smaller craft grower. That's your designated guy versus what the big multi-location operator can, can sell an eighth for. I, yeah, I guess. Um, I think that's kind of what's, what's working itself out here now, you know, same kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a a moment in time. <laughs> yeah, but uh, now is it is it anyone can grow at home in Canada, or still requires a medicinal uh, or medicinal registration? So yeah, so they passed the um, bill 
C45, I believe it's called, the Cannabis Act. And in that, um, you know, there's a couple of caveats and, you know, you have to be the owner of the property or have permission from the owner. You have to be of legal age for consumption, which is 18. And aside from that, you can grow four plants. Um, there are, oh, that's sweet. There are some provinces that have not adopted that yet. And I think Quebec is one. Come on, Quebec. What are you doing? And there may be, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to talk, uh, I don't want to like presume I know everything about it, but there are, I think there's at least one more, one or two more provinces that have not adopted the, the grow your four at home yet. Kind of coming up to speed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and have you always been on the West, um, uh, over in Alberta? Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I really enjoyed traveling to Alberta, man. I need to go back and and get to Banff. I want to see that national park. That's crazy. It is gorgeous. You know, um, wow. We, I'm very blessed to live where I do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I always thought uh, Alberta kind of reminded me of this stretch of the U.S. that happens like between Kansas and Colorado. Okay. You can start to see the mountains on the horizon, but it's still very like prairie, open fields. Uh, yes. Good vibes there. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so, uh, 2016 got my ACMPR federal license growing at home. And I thought I'll just take this a step further. So I applied at Sundial, which is about a five minute drive from my house here. And, uh, I, I ended up getting on their sanitation team. So cleaning tables and floors and that sort of thing. Yeah. That lasted about a week. Uh, and then after, you know, after about a week and, uh, I was asked to be the, become the lead grower. So that was fun. You start showing some of your knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> it starts by washing pots and trays and uh, very quickly start um, handling the IPM and, and nutrient yeah. schedules and <laughs> yeah, so yeah. much more. Yeah. Dur during that interview, I said, you know, give me a job. Let me clean your toilets and uh, maybe I'll show you a thing or two. And they're like, okay. <laughs> That's cool, man. But th that way you could kind of gauge the business a little bit too without mm -hmm. maybe giving that experience and knowledge. Yeah. The with some with some of the legacy folks and legacy knowledge, um, companies are hungry for that, and it's hard to always appreciate the person giving that knowledge or bringing that to the table. I think there's people that feel exploited after afterwards, or or they literally are, <laughs> um, you know, to varying degrees. It's it's difficult there. So I think it, being able to vet the company a little bit or or kind of find your way sounds like a good opportunity. And was Sundial still growing at the time, or was it like the Sundial that um, that we knew of up until the end of last year? Oh no, this is not the the juggernaut of of uh, the war chest, as I call them, of of cannabis production. Okay, this was, uh, <laughs> this was not so. Sundial ended up being what like a six hundred thousand square foot facility, and this was their twenty thousand foot sort of jumping off point you know, so nice. Um, it yeah. wasn't small, but it wasn't, wasn't super massive. Um, yeah. And, um, learning a lot, they were, they were really eager to, to learn cause they were still funny. They were operating under the ACMPR license, the same one that I had for home. They had the same one. So, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And was it all a greenhouse at the time or was it, um, like a closed in indoor? So, it's, that's a great question, man. So the, the arc of, of that property was really interesting. It was a, like a horse boarding facility at one point, And then they did cucumbers as a greenhouse. Type oh, of thing. okay. So it had and a little then, bit of uh, like architecture already supporting it. A little bit. Yeah. But then they went fully, fully cannabis black house, you know, so they, they ended uh, up, they ended up just walling up everything and going, yeah. you know, full on artificial lighting for everything. You are the sun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice, man. So that so really got to see that place uh, get some uh, get some traction in the market and start to start to turn out some good products. Were there any um, any unique obstacles uh, in that grow that you had to tackle? Oh, for sure, man. Well, for one thing, their lights were like uh, bare bulb HPS and metal halide with parabolic reflectors. I mean, this is like you're stepping back into the seventies, man. You didn't even have the lenses in the cover in the <laughs> in the ballast covers. <laughs> no, 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 it was crazy. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then, of course, they started bringing in some of the uh, the double ended stuff. Um, so that was nice, nice to see that tra that transition, you know, right. evolution. Um, but one of the one of the biggest 
challenges at the time. And it wasn't just Sundial. Uh, it was like everybody experiences was in order to get starting material genetics, you had to like buy from everyone else. So it was like this cesspool of like mm. incestuous just genetics. The same pool again and again. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, oh, you've got, uh, you know, oh, you've got Cold Creek Kush uh, or, you know, like uh, Shishka Berry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, again. Like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> You're like, no, no, this Shishka Berry is different. I'm telling you. <laughs> so that was that was hard um that was hard to 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 differentiate yourself and i think in in my opinion like uh differentiation uh innovation and disruption those three go hand in hand and and when you can when you can do any of those well it's almost like a fire triangle right you can you could create a really really blazing fire you know what i mean yes yeah man that's a uh, that's a powerful combination there if, really and if you're if you're seriously lacking any of those three you're probably gonna probably gonna feel it and, and everyone was right. So, so you're just, you're lumped into the same, everyone was the same. There was no, there's no uniqueness. That's hard. Yeah. Did, did the laws allow, or did the regs allow like, pheno hunting and actually sourcing seeds or it had to oh. come from more established. Okay. Okay. So this is, this is the, this is fucked up, man. Oh, sorry. I don't know <laughs> what kind of language I'm allowed to use on this. Oh, have at it, dude. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so eventually the federal government allowed what was called an amnesty period. There was like 24 hours where you that could bring in anything. Where you're like, oh, dude, I had all these plants in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they started allowing this like amnesty on genetics, right? So it's yes. like you made a declaration, right? So you wrote a declaration to, to Health Canada and you said, this is what we're bringing in, right? And it was just like, so people got creative. They started, uh, they started declaring like random nondescript bags of seeds like 10,000 50,000 seeds to be determined <laughs> oh oh wow <laughs> yeah, yeah just like we're gonna pheno we will literally pheno hunt this and create something new that's yeah. all you need to know <laughs> that's all you need to know so here's the, here's a bag of nondescript seeds it didn't even have to be uh you know like cultivar or strain specific yeah it, it could be hemp you know it right. didn't matter <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a grace period like that in the u.s as well for yeah uh, starting up cultivation uh, when you get your professional license at least but it's a pretty small window so if yeah. you didn't have some kind of nursery in the background or genetics kind of sourcing already you can be stuck you know actually just buying seeds and and like starting at that time which is not always the best right yeah it takes now, a while to perfect anything i guess even if you're growing those outside as soon as you bring them to the facility those ladies need to adjust huh uh you like you're are you talking like uh, like outdoor grow, um, I, or I guess like bringing in genetics that were already growing and potentially stressing oh. them out by like adding them into your your new place. Yeah, and, and of course you can you can imagine like every challenge that that's presented with that scenario happens, right? Because like you're bringing them in, and now you all of a sudden you've got spider mites, and you've got powdery mildew, and you've got nobody knew nobody knew anything back then. You know, nobody everything, knew. Everything slides. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was the Wild West. It really was. The, yeah. the best way I can describe that too is with the, in the U.S. side is when I was cultivating in Denver, we had our, our nutrient recipe written on a whiteboard and a dude like leaned against it one time, kind of erased some and nobody knew what it was. We just had to make it again. And it was just gone. <laughs> yeah. It was just gone. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know how many milliliters it was. Like, well, let's just... Let's start reading online again about what the flower newts should be. <laughs> it was pretty rough, man. And our, our like tracking system was yeah. basically painter's tape. Yeah. Someone's running for the calculator. Yeah, for real. <laughs> like, oh, God. That's awesome. And now when I see these grows that have like these full-on, you know, dosatron systems and like automatic nutrient mixes, just, uh, man, it's a mountaintop right there. I was standing over a barrel mixing that shit. <laughs> Yes, and I prefer that actually. You know, like you can uh, automate you and automate all you like, but there's some certain things that you just you need to do, you know, very hands on. Just being able to test it yourself and really measure it. I mean, there was kind of like a Zen aspect of like actually crafting that and spending time with it. Where I think just turning on the machine might lose that connection a little bit, but you can get that elsewhere probably in the in the supply chain. Yeah, it's a balance. Yeah, yeah. So from um, from sundial to uh, sugar bud, how did that how did that uh, evolution go for you, or how did you make your way over to the next LP then? So the founder of sundial, um, 
quite a visionary gentleman, uh, Stan Switek. Uh, oh, sorry, am I allowed to drop proper names in this? Uh, yeah, definitely, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Stan, man. We'll get you on an episode down the road. Shout out to Stan, man. This guy has, has been through the grinder, come out several times, good and bad. You know, so he's, you know, he's, in my opinion, one of the strongest business people that I've, you know, had the pleasure of meeting and working with. He's very strong, very strong person. Um, so he ended up making a deal where uh, we were designing and building Sundial's larger facility. And he was in the process of uh, like a, a divestiture, 100% uh, sale he wanted out of that Sundial. Uh, so okay. he made off like a bandit. I think he made really good money on that. Um, that was pretty, he cherry Before picked. Sundial really um, over-invested perhaps or overgrew. Yeah, yeah. So he, he could see, I think he saw the writing on the wall with that one and... Yeah made the right choice but he he you know grabbed a couple of really talented people um, myself included and we went on to start sugar bud craft growers um nice. with 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 the understanding that you know we had made mistakes and we'd learned some things and sugar bud presented this sort of clean slate uh an opportunity to you know really just do things differently if we wanted to you know and that was a full build, or were you retrofitting a a, where, a warehouse for Sugarbud? That was a that was a bare earth, full on ground up. You know, had had the land and just went That's to town. Awesome. That's what I thought. Yeah, that I was lucky enough to see that facility. But when I was there, there was no plants in the whole building. Oh, it was all just racks and folks getting trained. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it'd be it'd be awesome to w- wander through that again someday and see it all live. So I think it, you guys were doing the canopy like the double layer grow already. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where I cut my teeth on. Uh, at the time, it was called is how I was introduced to it. it. Was called growing the California way. I'm using like air quotes here, you know. Uh, right. <laughs> and the California way was the trifecta. It was the pip racks, the rolling racks. And yes. The the fluence LEDs. And it yeah. was the vertical air solutions, um, intercanopy, uh, airflow mixing, right? Yes. And so we, we ended up, you know, that's what I brought to the table. I, I used my network, uh, you know, connected with some really great people. And we ended up one of the, I think we were one of the first to, to really adopt the California way here in, in Western Canada anyways. And if, if, if I'm overstepping, you know, I apologize, but in my world, that's, that's what it felt like. Yeah, right. No, I, I think that that makes sense. And it's like b- before that, were people more trying to find their own way rather than rely on like a trusted setup? They were, you know, more choosing their own adventure or trying to find an alternative that might be more competitive or something unknown. Yeah, I can't. I can't really speak to that. But for me, it was like when I when I learned about it and when I started talking to the people who were doing it, like James Cunningham and Mitch Galton and Michael Williamson and those guys. And when I started learning about their experience and, and what they were doing, um, I think the people who would have stumbled onto that grow method probably would have got it right away. Like me, they just, you're like, this yeah. light bulb goes off. You're like, ah, ding. This is you gonna know? work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. And then, um, so sugar bud growing, getting better. And then eventually uh, the, I guess the sun was setting or sugar bud was entering a new phase for you or for the business side that you um, actually found your way to a different LP after that or back home maybe to uh, the original LP. Right, right, right. So maybe I'll just add some context here so that um, you can understand my, my mentality or sort of like my interest at the time was uh, I'm a quiet observer for one thing. I, I really just like to listen and look and I don't have a lot to say because I'm usually not the smartest guy in the room. And I can always learn, right? That's a good so, habit, though. Not yeah, to never be the smartest. Yeah. So being a quiet observer, um, I chose uh, I chose a couple of hard, fast rules for myself when I was getting into cannabis, and, and that was I wanted to be on a path of self education. I wanted to start to just go where the wind took me, be very fluid in my projects, and be able to um, transition if if I felt maybe a project had less to offer and something had more to offer then I wanted the freedom to be able to, you know, go with the flow. And so yes. I always yeah. took projects, uh, as a consultant and maybe not on the books. I, 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 maybe, maybe I had a title, 
but I let it, I was well, like I let it to, well known to the, to the management and, and the C-suite or who is ever running the show. I'm like, listen, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Um, right. I'm on a path of self-discovery and I'm not finished my education yet. Right. So that's kind of what I, that's how I did that. Excellent. Yeah. And that's, a, I mean, that's a good boundaries to set, man. It's set, making sure you have your kind of trajectory there and your values in the career can be difficult as, you know, money and pressures and, and life kind of pre- present themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And until I finally was satisfied, uh, which, you know, and I guess I've never satisfied, but until I felt comfortable and saying like, I could move away from the consulting collaborative thing and, and maybe plant some roots and, yeah. and be a, be a more, a more permanent fixture in, in some place. Um, that happened to me, you know, just recently. And it was like you said, like, uh, so we went to sugar bud. Uh, I was there just as a contract consultant, get the, get the wheels turning, get the motor running. And then Stan, of course, Stan, because he's just so dynamic in character. He saw that even sugar bud at, uh, I think it was like 30 something thousand square feet, 40, 30,000 30, square feet. Anyways, wow, yeah. he's like, this is too big. He's like, we need to go smaller. Cause he was listening to a lot of what I was saying at the time. And I'm like, Stan, you need, you need a balance, right? There's, there's gotta be a balance of craft and automation. And, and to find that, you know, it's, it's smaller than what you think. And so we went and we did choice growers together. So that was the third project with Stan. Okay. Nice. So the yeah. choice growers was then a, um, kind of a revamp, but at, with a smaller footprint for the sake of quality, huh? For the sake of quality, my friend. That's and it was awesome. all about really focusing on the, 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 the fear of missing out mentality went out the window. It's like, we're, we're not here to produce boatloads and truckloads of this shit. Yeah. What, what yeah. we want to do is produce a really, really sought after product where people will hang on to their 20 bucks because it's not in the store, but it will be next week. Yeah, it'll you speak know. for itself, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally, man. Yeah. I think that, and that can be hard to do at first to, because the drive is to do more and more and more. But, yeah. um, I mean, I am a, I'm a proponent that the connoisseur in the cannabis industry is the big spender. It's the, it's the regular consumers and the folks that are going to find that quality and buy nothing else or, you know, make sure and judge everything against that going forward who businesses should care about more. And I think churning out mids, uh, is like in the, in the old terms is like a good way not to be called back. Right. Yeah. You're just like, all right, that was, that was just very fine. So, so we like, uh, we're probably not going to call that dude again. If you know someone else who had fire or something else coming from, from California. <laughs> it's very, it's very tough to convince someone after your, you know, your, your first, uh, impression. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the choice growers, uh, did you guys go with a very similar, um, kind of setup then as far as the cultivation methods, or did you try to reinvent anything in that, um, in that setup? Well, I think one of the, uh, one of the aspects that, that really uh, got a lot of people talking uh, about projects that I was in is, you know, my affinity towards aeroponic growing, right? So um, cool. I always yeah. presented aeroponics as if you wanted to do high automation and, and then with, con- with cost control discipline. So uh, there's some, some really cool methodologies and strategies that I really try and live day to day when I'm in a project. And one of them is cost control discipline, right? So if you're controlling your costs and that leaves that money or that, you know, that, you know, that margin to, to, to work for you elsewhere. You, you can pivot I mean? if you need to. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, what choice represented was a heavy investment in science and a heavy investment in craft and, and to, to have the two, uh, I coined the phrase. I coined the phrase, the convergence of commercial and craft. That's better than what I was going to say. Combining craft and science into science. Science. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So the convergence the... of commercial craft sounds very formal. I like that. Yes. Name. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, you know, like we did aeroponics at choice. We did um, with you know super small droplet size for the roots. We started looking at the science of root development and what that meant for plant growth and structure and. Oh, um, sweet. There's so much here to unpack, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of the opportunity to say hi to your listeners. Um, but I would be, 
uh, I would be super excited to 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 do another one or two of these with you. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's plenty to dig in there. Yeah. Um, for the folks who don't know on on aeroponics, uh, it can be difficult to maintain or to get set up at first. Um, just with the the way that you have to get like certain droplet sizes and all of your plants are put in tubes that are enclosed and you're putting through a very fine mist of nutrient rich um, fertilizer essentially and yeah your plants are growing in open air that way that's right yeah and, and are, that is a lot less work right you're not mixing up soil you're not changing pots most of the time in those systems they actually flower where they veg absolutely uh, and, and I would say that it's not a, it's not so much as there's not as much work. I think the work shifts to, to different areas. It's more front-loaded work, kind of getting ready and re- getting the system ready to try to maintain it or automate. Yeah, I think I think this is uh, this is a great topic for for another for another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to get off track, but but you know, there just like there's many ways to grow cannabis, there's many ways to do aeroponics. Yeah, you know, and, as a sub, as sort of a sub, a subtype of of grow methol- methodologies, you know. And I don't see a lot of aeroponics in the states. Uh, every once in a while, you find it in the shop. I did find some great aeroponics, aeroponically grown flower in Chicago recently. That was a uh, kind of top notch. But here in Vegas, I don't think I've seen a shop, or I, I don't think I know of a brand that does it. It's a, if you're if you're looking at who's doing aero in the states, look look at Arise. Those Arise, guys are yeah. freaking killing it, man. I think they that's know. who I tried in Chicago, actually. It was yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. They are crushing it, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice, man. So so Choice Growers getting started. And, and all this, was this all still within, like, driving driving distance from Sundial, Sugar Bud, like all your projects just popping up around your house? Or did you have to kind of bounce around a little bit for these projects? Yeah, so Sugar Bud ended up being about almost a two-hour drive from my from my home. Whereas, getting to be on know, the outer, the yeah, outer limits of acceptability there. Yeah, but but still, <laughs> because I was committed, and I was, you know, I like to say, you know, people are like, oh, I'm so passionate about cannabis. I'm like, oh, that's cute. Call me when you're obsessed. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll talk with you next year. <laughs> so you know, so two hour drive for me was like, okay, this is part of the deal. Um, and right. then choice was about forty five minutes for me. Oh, cool. Hey, close, closer to home, higher quality, more attention to detail. Switching to aeroponics. Sounds like a lot of pros in that equation. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, uh, you know, uh, talk a bit about challenges, right? Like, uh, it's not all roses when you're talking about fitting in with different egos and personalities and characters and trying to uh, start a business in cannabis. It's, it can be very challenging. It's, it's, yes. it's actually quite hard. But it's the right. people part that's hard, right? I agree there. <laughs> you could figure uh, out process. You can figure out yeah. science. Yeah. No one can figure out people. Yeah. <laughs> You're just so, working so with them. Usually my, you know, and, and what really was the calling card for me to, to pick it up and, and just move on was when I started to see, I don't like to use the word bad actors because, you know, no one's a really bad actor, but bad choices, maybe. That's a better way. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of seeing them happen more than they used to or start to become a norm maybe when they were, yeah. when they weren't before. Yeah. So, you know, um, after choice, you know, I, I had a couple of, you know, experiences there that I was really not too crazy about. Um, I see. So I took some time off and uh, I ended up applying for a job at Sundial. So it's full circle for me, right? And yeah. I think that's cathartic, you know, there's, there's <laughs> yeah, a lot of, uh, there's a huh. lot of <laughs> therapy in that. <laughs> and then this was the sun, this was like Sundial. Like this huge is, sundial, right? <laughs> this is actually, okay, so previous, when I'm saying sundial, I'm talking about S-U-N-D-I-A-L. This is S-N-D-L. All right, caps. they're on the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, what kind of staff did they have at that ooh, size? So I was, I, was a, I was hired on the heels of a riff, uh, a reduction in force, a reduction okay. in workforce. Yeah. So just about a month before I got hired, they had something like, 1300 1200 employees oh man dude <laughs> it's just <laughs> unreal the size of those grows in canada those... yeah and then uh, i came on and they were about 700 employees strong on their force yeah yep. and, and, and then, crazy to say well we're at half capacity with 700 people on the payroll yeah yeah, yeah. and just to give you an idea of scope of uh, the commercial scope of this place the rooms were you know right around 2000 square feet and there was legit 
I'm not even going to lie here, 100 of these motherfucking rooms, man. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it is just insane, man. And just, I can't imagine scheduling that and looking oh. at the inventory and supply chain to feed that beast. Oh, it is, it's a grind, man. And like, yeah. <laughs> I've never, you know, I, I, I thought of myself as, you know, pretty, you know, pr- pretty capable. Savvy, and, uh, man, ready to and, tackle it. Yeah. And coming in to see that, it was just like, I pissed my pants a little bit. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> Where should we start? Yeah. Uh, but I was only there for about two and a half years before they ended up closing their doors. But in that time, yeah, yep. uh, I was hired as a, as a grower. And again, air quotes, right? Like the bottom of the bottom of the corporate ladder. Um, Get started my, and trying to show what you know again. Huh? Yeah. The, when I got hired, you know, they were like, listen, man, you're, you're way overqualified. And I said, like, listen, I'm more than my title, dude. Let me come in. Let me see what I can do for you. Put me on wherever you need me. And, you know, two and a half years, 11 promotions later, and I ended up uh, (laughs) being offered the director of cultivation for another Sundial um, uh, location out east. But I ended up just turning it down. Oh, kind of had enough with with Sundial a little bit or ready to start looking for that next project, huh? Well, and that's kind of where I'm at now, Rob, is... um, I, I'm very like I'm very choosy about you know where I plant myself these days, and yes. uh, the, the yep. project that I've been working on now is family owned and operated, and just like really, really excited. Um, you know, I, I when I when I applied at Sundial the big the big six hundred thousand square foot facility, right? I went in with the ideas like these guys are too big to fail, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make a career here, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they failed. <laughs> That's what I thought working with the Kerna. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no, yeah, man, so that keeps you on your toes, man. Make sure you're gonna make sure you stay passionate, right? You're yeah. trying to in hindsight maybe it's like, all right, maybe that was like too early to to try to settle into the career and now this next project could be the one, right? I really hope it is. And again, I'm you know, I'm a realist, you know, so whatever. And the, what are the goals for the next one? We can save kind of the details for golden triangle extracts for a future episode if you'd like, but could you give us an elevator pitch or a little bit of what kind of what's in store? Yeah, definitely. Um, golden triangle extracts, uh, bootstrapped it, um, from the ground up. Uh, our plan for this is to change the way, uh, genetics and nursery, uh, licensing is is being offered to uh, cultivation license holders. So you know whether you're doing your propagation in-house or you're tapping a nursery for outsourced material, uh, we've got several models in place that is absolutely going to be a game changer. Um, and I will say this: um, cool. my experience is look to mature markets for hints and clues on where an emerging market is going to be. So I started looking at, you know, California, Colorado, Oregon. I started looking at these places and seeing like, what are they doing now? And can we assume that some of that's going to happen here? And, right. and, and really Rob, um, again, I fell, I fell in with my arse in the butter on this one. I, I've got such great hope for this little project. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to change. We're going to change a lot of cool, cool stuff here on. That's on great, man. Yeah. No, looking forward to seeing that hit, hit the ground and um, and open the doors too. That's sweet. What's the ETA? What's the timeline you guys have right now? So we've done our our first seed round. Uh, we raised two hundred and twenty k. We put that to work right away, and we're now we're doing our second seed. Um, so we're actually in the in in the the throes of a roadshow right now. We're we're, we're and you know it's like. With all these other projects, you know, it was easy to go out, raise 20, 40, you know, million dollars. It was super easy. Everyone now was ready. Now and... it's hard. It's tough. It's so hard to raise money. But yeah, the, the, the investors who are still have a tolerance for cannabis and an appetite for cannabis projects, they're a little more savvy. And, and I think they've they can, seen it. Yeah, they've seen it. So they can they can read through the, like, the chaff. They can they can push it aside that they're like, no, this is garbage. And they, but they can identify a, a, a diamond in the rough. You know, that's excellent. Yeah. So it's still, it's just about having those right conversations and, uh, yeah, and it's a numbers game when it comes to those pitches. It is. It's a sales, right? It's all about sales, right? It's like, 
you know, every no gets you closer to the yes. So we're just, we're just hammering them. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, will, I wish you guys a lot of luck in that endeavor here, man. And I want to thank you again for coming on the show and, uh, and kind of giving us a little bit of your backstory. It was definitely cool to hear all the projects you've been involved in. And I know there's, there's several more stories we should dig into here later. But in the meantime, dude, where can folks connect with you or, or reach out if they have any questions or want to talk shop about anything you mentioned? Well, I'm, I'm still uh, LinkedIn, of course, is, is kind of my that's where I go to for uh, for, you know, just business connections right now. It has become a wonderful space for connecting on the cannabis space. And I mean, yep. in, in business in general, it already was, but it's a unique thing for cannabis right now. Yep. I would say um, if you if you do start to follow me or you start to, to peek in at what I'm sharing with the community on LinkedIn, you're going to notice that I don't really con- contribute a lot to conversations unless it's a DM. Um, if you want to, if you want to chat with me, I'm, I'm happy to, to do a DM with you, but I'm, I'm just a quiet observer right now. I'm still not really comfortable. And I think that maybe is, that's coming from where I came from. You know, it's like, you don't talk about right. it. You and I'm still I'm working <laughs> yeah. through that. I'm, it's therapy, man. I'm working through it. <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> so for me to come on here today, I, uh, two things. Thank you so much for, for giving me a chance to come out of my comfort zone. Um, I really do appreciate that. And secondly is, um, you know, damn you, man. You, 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 you're really getting me to push my, to push my comfort zone. Got you out of the shell here. <laughs> <laughs> nice, dude. We'll keep, we'll keep the challenges rolling. We threw down the gauntlet here. Nice, nice. Yeah, thank you, Charlie. I'll talk soon, man. Talk soon. Take care. software product management, cannabis education courses, and freelance writing. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Department 113 is here to help.